Hello, and welcome to Out West, the official podcast of the Western Governors Association, a bipartisan organization representing the governors of the 22 westernmost states and territories. I'm Jim Ogsbury, Executive Director of WGA. Improving the capacity of rural and underserved communities to implement economic development strategies is a primary focus of the Western Prosperity Roundtable, WGA's policy platform for expanding economic opportunity throughout the West. In this episode of Out West, WGA Senior Policy Advisor Lauren Danino speaks with Alyssa Kay, the Director of Program Development for the Utah Office of Energy Development, and Jerry Gamber, the executive director of the Southeastern Utah Association of Local Governments. Their conversation delves into the challenges that coal communities face amid changing energy markets, as well as state efforts to bolster rural economic development opportunities to support these communities. To learn more about rural economic development in the West, watch this year's Western Prosperity Roundtable Forum on WGA's YouTube page. Hosted by Oklahoma Governor Kevin Stitt, the 2022 forum features discussions with regional experts, including Xochitl Torres-Small, the Undersecretary of Rural Development at the U.S. Department of Agriculture. The forum addresses state strategies for effectively allocating funds from the American Rescue Plan and Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act, as well as policies to strengthen the capacity of rural and underserved communities to access these resources. I'm Lauren Danino, a Senior Policy Advisor at the Western Governors Association, and I'm thrilled to be joined today by Alyssa Kay, the Director of Program Development for the Utah Office of Energy Development, and Jerry Gamber, Executive Director of the Southeastern Utah Association of Local Governments. Today, we're going to be talking about transitioning coal communities and some of the challenges and opportunities that they are currently experiencing. I thought we could start out today by getting a little bit more background information on both of you and the work that you do in your organizations. So why don't we start with Jerry? I'm Jerry Gamber again. I'm with Southeastern Utah Association of Local Governments. We're a regional organization in Southeast Utah. We have four counties that we implement programs and planning and economic development, and that's Carbon, Emory, Grand, and San Juan County. AOGs were created around 1969, and it was to implement federal block grants. That's why AOGs came to fruition nationwide, actually. They're not all called Association of Governments, but in Utah, they're called Association of Governments, and there's seven of us. We work in poverty programs. We work with planning. We work with aging. We have economic development that we implement in the area, but that's the basis and overarching idea behind an association of governments in rural Utah. Urban Utah can look much different. And I'll turn the time over to Alyssa to introduce herself. Hi, my name is Alyssa Kay. I am with the Utah Office of Energy Development, and our office is a state energy office. The purpose of our office is to implement state energy policy and support the governor's vision for energy development in Utah, as well as to support energy development and workforce education related to energy and educating our constituents. Jerry, where exactly are your counties and what kind of economies do they have? What are they like? Have you lived there forever? In Carbon and Emory, you're talking about the history of coal country. That's the economy in Carbon and Emory. 
if you go a little bit more south from Grand and San Juan, there is that energy history there, but tourism is a big component of Grand County, and it is as well to San Juan County, but also public lands and those kind of things are important. In Carbon and Emory, you still have those components, but they're very well known for having that coal history. So, Alyssa, what is the overview of energy in Utah? What kinds of energy production occur there? What are the trends? And where is the state trying to go? Good question. So the overview of energy in Utah is that we are an any of the above state. That's a new term that we implemented with our state energy plan that we released just a couple of weeks ago. Previously referred to ourselves as an all of the above state. But any of the above signals an ability for consumers to choose energy sources as well as having all energy sources available. Utah has been a big coal state for many years. We have the cheapest electricity in the nation, thanks in large part to our energy communities and our our coal energy production. As the energy economy changes, Utah is poised to be able to economically benefit from all energy sources. We have abundant solar resources in Utah. We have geothermal, we have wind. And so at the beginning of the podcast, you mentioned transitioning. That's not the word we use. We usually use the word diversify. We see that all energy sources have benefits and there are appropriate uses for every energy source. And we want to support all energy sources. I'll have to start incorporating any of the above into my vocabulary. I'm so used to saying all of the above, but I like that. For the communities, such as those in Jerry's part of the state that have historically been vital to the coal industry, is there a role for them as well as Utah is diversifying their energy? And what is that industry looking like as the state diversifies energy sources? That's a great question. And Jerry can also, I think, jump into this answer. But yes, absolutely. There is a role for those coal communities. And this gets into the work that we've been doing with the Ready Coalition. Utah's coal country really is centered in central Utah. And we've had coal power plants shut down in 2015. And then there have been coal mine closures for quite a while. These communities have really already been affected by changes in the energy economy. And what we've seen is a response from the communities, particularly Emory County, with the establishment of the San Rafael Energy Research Center. We know that we have a workforce that's highly skilled and trained in energy generation in this area, and the economy has benefited from that energy generation. The San Rafael Energy Research Center is looking to the future and diversifying the energy economy in central Utah. Some of the technologies that they're looking at will provide that valuable baseload energy that is necessary in order to implement more renewables on the grid. Their focus has been on supercritical CO2, nuclear, and hydrogen. The effort that Alyssa is referring to is pretty dynamic and pretty innovative, but historically with it being a carbon-based producer, it's challenging to produce revenues that help 
a city or a county thrive or to implement some kind of infrastructure or something of that component. Mineral lease funding, which is off of coal, oil, or gas revenue, is a way these counties and cities earn revenue to complete projects. Carbon County, which the name itself helps you understand what's the history there, have zero coal-producing facilities or companies in the area. There's not a power plant, there's not a coal mine, there's not anything that's producing that. And oil and gas have gone down tremendously as well. Emory County still has coal mines and they still have two power plants that are due to shut down 2036 and 2042. And more than likely, even earlier, with innovative technologies, that's what's interesting about what Alyssa was referencing about the Centerfell Energy Research Center. Because those economies, not only did they produce revenue for the cities and counties, they also were very high-paying jobs for the people who lived there. And with those dissipating, it's been very clear that the agenda has to be, how do we now make us thrive at that same capacity? As we start talking about it further and discussing the dynamics of it, it even becomes very interesting not just for this region, but for the state and possibly the nation or the world. You both mentioned you ready now, so I'd probably take a moment to give the full background on what that is and who was involved and how it came about. You Ready is a coalition that was formed to respond to the Economic Development Administration's Build Back Better Regional Challenge for Economic Growth Clusters. And there's a section of funding specifically set aside to support coal communities. Utah's coal community is the southeastern Utah region, and this community really created this proposal. And the state has supplemented the proposal, I think, in ways that benefit all of Utah. But the proposal is based around the San Rafael Energy Research Center. That's sort of the hub of the entire proposal. And the proposal has four pillars, energy research being one of them, manufacturing to commercialize that energy research as well as to diversify the economy, entrepreneurship, and workforce development. In addition to the San Rafael Energy Research Center, the proposal would have a manufacturing incubator co-located with the research center that would support commercialization of technologies that are coming out of the research center as well as provide opportunities to incubate manufacturing companies in the region. And supporting that research center, the Southeast Utah Economic Development District's entrepreneurial ecosystem, which is based in Price, Utah, will have a reach into the incubator and support the businesses that would grow there. Additionally, the proposal includes growing the entrepreneurial ecosystem. So the facilities, as well as the services, include smart manufacturing, a smart manufacturing remote operation center, which could serve manufacturing companies in the region, as well as develop a service industry for smart manufacturing. It also includes workforce development, specifically aircraft maintenance technicians and electric vehicle maintenance technicians. And those were chosen because of the adjacencies of skills between those two industries and the energy industry. So providing new high-paying opportunities, 
that are similar to the opportunities that exist now. You said that you already grew out of the Build Back Better regional challenge from EDA. Did the local community leaders and county leaders already have relationships in place to come to each other and say, hey, I think we could really be successful at this if we do it as a region? Or did the state encourage that? What was the process for really getting that going? It was really organic, and it did grow out of existing relationships between the counties and the Southeast Utah Association of Local Governments. I think that the state is really the newcomer here. And how the state got involved was that the Economic Development Administration was looking for regional growth clusters. The state wanted to support a statewide region. Since there is a need in these coal communities to support them through the changes in the energy economy, it made sense that that would be the cluster that we supported. Fortunately, we were welcomed (laughs) with open arms. And from our perspective at the Office of Energy Development, it's been a great experience for us to get to know rural Utah better and really understand the needs of these communities. Many of the projects have been things that historically have been either approached to try to create and bring them to fruition or they were working on them and building them. So the Santa Fe Energy Research Center, there was some state support that was already occurring with that. And they had had some other federal funding as well, but they needed to grow that facility into some of the dynamics of this was already discussed. When EDA, the Economic Development Administration, announced this Build Back Better grant, it became competitive immediately. We felt very fortunate we were selected and it went to a phase one proposal. After phase one, had all these tools and helped us write a really excellent grant with all these other coalition members. It was such a great experience to have all these different projects come together and work together. It was an amazing experience, especially for rural Utah. We don't always get to be in those experiences. And this is probably one of the best coalition projects that has existed to date, even at the state level. It's been exciting. Absolutely. One of the things that has really struck me is that this is a coalition of leaders who have come together because there's a desire to work together for the benefit of the state. You ready is a phase one finalist. What does that mean and how much money was that grant and what have you used it for? The phase one award was $500,000 to support the application for phase two. And we had to be a finalist for phase one in order to be able to apply for phase two. So it basically made us eligible to apply for the larger pot of funding, which is between 25 to $75 million. Our application is around $43 million. So far, that phase one money has funded engineering and feasibility studies to determine how much these projects would cost, what the impacts would be, and the feasibility of the projects. It's also funded some of the time that the coalition has put into writing the grant proposal. And for those that are along the Wasatch Front, traveling to the region in order for us to understand better what the projects are that are going to be taking place in that region. In terms of competing now for the next round, you're up against the other 59 finalists, and they're not obviously all from rural areas. I assume some of them are probably in metropolitan areas. 
I know that there's a whole community commitment as part of this, but even if you look at other areas that have communities that have historically relied on coal, there's probably fewer people in the rural Utah communities than there are in some of those other areas. How do you compete on things like the number of jobs that are going to be created? Is there a metric that can capture how important this is to Utah that makes that a level playing field? As we were doing the research to put together these applications, that really was one of the areas that we looked at. You know, metropolitan areas can generate thousands of jobs fairly easily, but in rural Utah, 100 or 200 jobs makes such a huge difference. And what we found was that one job in some of these rural communities, when you look at the economic impact of that job, can equate to 100 or more jobs in an urban community. We also found that, especially in the mining and utility sectors, that one job in mining supports seven other jobs in adjacent industries. I assume you're talking about the economic clusters around mining and the downstream uses of it and the people that have to transport it and all that. But then I would think, too, that, like you said earlier, it's a good salary. Those are family-sustaining wages. So then you have workers who have kids and have other people in the family earning money and attending school and needing healthcare services. And so all of that then sustains other jobs in the community as well that would help to fortify those communities and make them a little more resilient. It's not just retention of businesses. You want to help them make that pivot to help with the new innovative energy sector. And so when you talk about these jobs, you're talking about businesses that have been historically around, you know, 50 years, and how do we help them understand that your business isn't about coal specifically, but now let's look at hydrogen, let's look at the nuclear component in maybe 7 to 15 years, there could be medical isotopes being produced. So when you start talking about something like medical isotopes, your job expansion now has to be your airport. In Carbon County, they have the fourth longest runway to support big planes landing, but they can't take off. They can land, but they can't take off. So now you're talking about infrastructure for these airports. The airport in Emory County, where the facility is located, that's going to have to be expanded. So your university and these workforce development jobs really become such a critical point to this whole project. So you have the entrepreneurial ecosystem, help businesses pivot, help create new entrepreneurs. Many of these businesses in our area are homegrown businesses. 70% of businesses in rural Utah are homegrown. They're not big box companies that are coming down and starting a new business. So it becomes quite a robust theory that you have to create to get this all flowing correctly. When I really talk about it, I kind of get excited, but I also get overwhelmed, to be completely honest, because it's a lot you have to get in place. So to see all these politicians and everyone operating outside of silos to make this all work, and then having the state come in and help guide it as well. It's just so exciting. And this is how we're going to make change and accept this diversification of our economy and how we want it to look. You mentioned high paying jobs, and I just wanted to say a little bit more about that as well. We were able to tour one of the coal electricity generation facilities and talk to the operators there. And one of them told us that he took a pay cut to go work for 
practical utility. And the reason he did that was because he saw his growth opportunities there that didn't exist elsewhere in the region. But when we look at mining and utilities wages compared to other wages in the region, this is one of the most beautiful landscapes in the entire country. There's a lot of people that want to visit this area. And so the go-to often becomes replacing those energy jobs with tourism. And it's great. We want that influx of money into the economy. However, those tourism jobs sometimes only pay a quarter to a third what these energy jobs pay. And so while it's not the highest employment sector in the area, it really is the singular economic driver for the area. I think it's important to add, in some of our counties, there's very little land to produce revenues. If you're looking at it from a tourism scope, how do you afford or how do you manage a county or a city off of tourism dollars? And that's where having this innovative approach of a Santa Fe Energy Research Center and all that's encompassed within that project you become far more robust in your county. You have the ability to produce those revenues that rural needs to produce in order to be self-sustaining. Because most civic processes, when you look at it, it's population-based how you earn that revenue. And it just, the model doesn't work in rural. And so that's, it's a very important piece of all of this. If you didn't have this opportunity with Build Back Better Regional Challenge through the Economic Development Administration, would you have been able to undertake something this ambitious? Would you have had to look for other sources of funding for that? One of the things that we've been very clear about through this whole process is that if we don't receive the award for the Build Back Better Phase 2, our coalition will continue to seek funding and other sources. What the award will do is put these planning efforts on warp speed. I think that we'd still be able to accomplish this. We might not be able to accomplish it in the kind of time frame that we need to accomplish it in. One of the other things that those young operators told us was that if 2036 comes and 2042 comes and the power plant shut down and there's not something else in place for them to be able to continue their careers, they're going to have to leave and go elsewhere. We have negative growth rates in this region, and there are a lot of people that are leaving. And once people leave and they establish their lives and their careers in another place, they rarely return. What we're really trying to do here is a lot of economic development that normally might take 10 to 15 to 20 years. We're trying to do it in five years' time to be able to create opportunities for people so they don't have to leave. Very well said, Alyssa. But in urban Utah, if you were to discuss that carbon and emery basically shutting down and we had to migrate elsewhere, urban Utah may have to take the load, right? Because that's where jobs are. That's not advantageous for urban. I mean, growth there is very expensive. There's pollution. There's a lot of things that urban has to look at as well. It's advantageous to help rural thrive and help sustain generations that have been here and the raw materials that are produced for urban. So I think it's a win-win situation for the whole state when you really look at it from that perspective. 
Absolutely. And when you look at some of the rural areas and other parts of the country that have been growing faster than they can handle, especially with more people working remotely, there, of course, is an opportunity to get that kind of momentum in your part of Utah as well, which would be really exciting. At this stage, do you plan at all for what would happen if you're too successful? As you mentioned, there's not that much land that's not public, and that's a housing issue for a lot of other rural areas. Is that even something you have time to think about on your radar at this point? For our agency, we're focusing on that currently, and those are arenas that we always have some kind of footprint in. The counties are strategically looking at that. There's revenue that some of the counties are making through other projects they've had in place, mainly solar, that those revenues go towards housing projects and they're strategizing with the state. And yeah, so those are hot topics of discussion currently. So I would say, did they plan 10 years ago for this kind of project? No, but I think the nation itself didn't do a good job of planning for the housing problems that are occurring. But yes, there are those discussions. There are possible revenue sources to help implement that. When you look at rural infrastructure is what really is going to be the biggest hang-up for putting in those housing projects and finding that funding. They have come up with creative solutions to help solve that. It's just not an immediate resolve. Yeah, I think that was a good answer, Jerry. There is so much federal funding available right now. In May, we just had a forum in Oklahoma City on this topic, talking about how rural communities can maximize the impact of various new programs and expanded programs in the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act. Are you thinking about how to leverage those funding sources in tandem? You mentioned the airport. That's what made me think of this originally. Are you going after infrastructure dollars from other sources to supplement and strengthen the application for the regional industry cluster? Yes, to supplement it. And then also in the case that we aren't one of the awardees for the funding, just looking at other funding sources to be able to continue the coalition and do the same thing, or even to grow the coalition. Our most recent meeting, the focus was, okay, now we have these other partners that want to come on board. How do we include other partners and how do we grow this coalition to benefit more than just this region and more than just the energy industry? We're definitely looking at all of the funding sources, and there's a lot of money out there right now, and we want to be able to use that to to benefit the people of Utah. I do want to come back to the rural capacity question a little bit, because you both alluded to just how much work this has been. And I know that there's a trend in economic development generally, and sort of you see it across different kinds of federal programs, whether it's transportation or economic development or different kinds of infrastructure, to regionalize and to encourage more coordination across counties, across towns, and even across states. Is it sustainable? Can you continue putting this much effort into your coalition as you have been? And what resources do you need to be able to continue working in this kind of elevated, fast-paced, work-speed environment? One of the things Jerry told me often is there is a wealth of talent and knowledge in these communities and the ability to plan how to benefit and grow these communities. In the past, oftentimes the funding that becomes available is for planning, right? And so this work gets done over and over and over again. And really, I think what I'm seeing right now is that there's a new emphasis on deployment. 
you know, how do we take all those great plans that have been made? How do we take them off the shelf and work together to implement them? And so I would say it's not a matter of doing more work. It's just a matter of refocusing the efforts and implementing the work that's already been done. The momentum has also increased the ability of the state to be able to work with our area. There's been lots of discussion in like the last five years of staying out of silos and trying to be cohesive and work collaboratively. And I think we say the word really well. And I don't think we always do the actions really well. But I think this coalition can change that. It's exciting to participate in it and it's exciting to watch because we're taking that action and actually walking away from those silos and, hey, let's try to achieve this together. To wrap up, I just want to ask both of you, what motivates you to do your work in rural development and what makes you optimistic when you look to the future? I'll start. I'll let Alyssa end since she's our fearless leader on this entire project. But the reason I wake up in the morning is I learn something every day with these new communications that we have with the state and these new partnerships. And it stimulates your brain and it stimulates your desire to put the work in and to try to come up with, okay, how can I make this work? How can we stick together? And what part am I missing? But you also have all these other great minds working with you to help you achieve that. And that's what excites me every day because I didn't see this a few years ago. And it's motivating beyond words. I would say that I'm motivated by the possibilities that we can achieve. Our energy needs are growing. They're not going away. As we're shutting down power plants, there needs to be something to replace them. And the opportunities there really are endless. It's exciting to me to think about how innovative we can be and all the different ways that we can meet energy and our economic needs. I would say that I'm also motivated by the relationships that we've had the chance to create. I just really look forward to every time we meet as a coalition. It's not just another meeting that I have to attend. It's really like I get to get together with my friends now. I just really appreciate the camaraderie that everyone has brought to this project. That's awesome. It sounds like it's a really gratifying time to be doing this work and exciting. And no matter what the outcome is, these relationships and building those muscles of coordination is going to benefit your region and your state for a long time to come. Alyssa and Jerry, it's been really fun talking to you today. I know that I've learned a lot. We really appreciate your time and thank you for joining us. Thank you, Lauren. Thanks for listening to this episode of Out West, presented by the Western Governors Association. To learn more about our ongoing work on diversifying rural economies, please visit westgov.org. And be sure to join us next time as we continue to discuss critical issues facing the Western United States. Finally, WGA would like to thank Alyssa Kay and Jerry Gamber for sharing their expertise on economic development in coal communities. Happy trails, everyone.